You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, that whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. He didn't write that. Did you feel that? Um, as one, and I know this is where it gets complicated because you're going to be thinking, Drew? No, Jesus. Speaking as one with authority. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. It's interesting that how in, um, important it is for us to not just read the Sermon on the Mount, but to hear it. I think that's one of the reasons why not only did we break it up, but we're trying to cast it over all of us like it was originally done. And people are hearing the words of Jesus Christ. And it's always strange when it comes out of Drew's mouth because he's just so <laughs> unassuming. And to speak with such authority, probably something Jesus-like in both of those things. And he speaks with such authority. I'm beginning to understand what one of my preaching professors really meant when he would say to us, and I don't think he was kidding, that sometimes it's just best to read the text and to sit down. And I know what some of you are thinking. We should do that today. but you're wanting to get to lunch early, right? Like it, you're, you're the reason why you, yeah, that'd be a great idea, Jim, is for the novelty of it. There's something profound in the words of Jesus Christ, and I want you to hear me very clearly this morning that I do not believe that what I can do now is take those incredible words and make them better. They come to us as the words from God himself, and they are perfect. But for centuries, <laughs> there is a time for us to come alongside and to reflect on and to think about those words that Jesus spoke. And so we've heard those today, and now what you and I have an opportunity to do is to reflect on those. And our reflection never equals the words themselves, but it's important for us to do. One of the reasons why it's important is because when those words come to us, they come a little different like they did to that original audience on that mountainside just off from the Sea of Galilee. The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus stands up and speaks with boldness and with authority and with clarity, unlike the teachers of the law of his day. We hear those words that Jesus spoke and we think to ourselves, wow, that's deep. We think to ourselves, that's an ideal. We think to ourselves and then begin to reason amongst ourselves. Well, there's no way that we can live up to that. Seriously, don't lust, don't hate, keep your word all the time. Love the one that you promised you would love forever, forever, no matter what. Are you, turn the other cheek. 
And one of the things I, I really do not want to do right now is to stand up here and explain what Jesus did not mean by that text. Have you been to that sermon? To my disgrace, I've preached that sermon. Let me explain to you um, the qualifications and the explanations and the reasons why that we can get out of what Jesus said regarding turning the cheek or staying in a difficult marriage or not lusting or holding anger or bitterness in our own hearts. But Jesus' words come to us just like they come to them, shocking. And we're gonna deal with them. So although those are lofty goals and a wonderful challenge for followers of Jesus Christ, no matter when they live, there is a misunderstanding by most people that goes something like this, that what Jesus is doing there or in this entire Sermon on the Mount, specifically in this section in chapter five, beginning in verse 21, what Jesus is doing is setting himself up against the law and the prophets, that there's a new sheriff in town, there's a new way of looking at God and a new way of looking at the world. And what Jesus is doing is saying, like, you know that in the past it was about the law, but now God is wanting your hearts. Have you heard that? Well, in light of last week's message, that doesn't seem allowed. And not the words that I said, but the words that Jesus said. So let me be very clear. Jesus is not arguing with the law itself at all. In fact, Jesus said, last week's text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says this, therefore, whoever relaxes, the word there means to loose or to unbind. It's actually the exact same word that Jesus uses and that encounter he has with Peter, where he says, Peter, whatever you bind or whatever has been bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It is this idea of teaching the truth about who God is and whoever relaxes what God has called us to do, what God has called us to be. If you think you're a liberator and you're going to loosen the chains that God designed as protection, guidance, and insight, Jesus says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and then teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. This is why, one of the reasons why the Bible actually says that those who want to be teachers should be very careful because you'll be judged more strictly. And why people say, I don't know if I want to teach that class. It's not just, I'll feel strange standing in front of others. It's somehow we intuitively know, wow, to stand up and speak with that kind of authority and, and recognizing that others are listening and maybe even not just listening, but ready to respond. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to be a Bible teacher. I don't know if I'm ready to share those things. And yet in the coffee shop, we do it all the time. Man, I got this one friend and he did me wrong and I am so mad. I am so mad. What do you do? I begin to tell you my story and you empathize with me because you love me. And you care about me, and I somehow have won you over to my circumstances, and you come alongside and you teach me that hate, as long as it's for the sake of the conversation in the coffee shop, righteous indignation is permitted. You've been there. Man, I'm really struggling with this lust that is in my heart. Now, I promise you, I haven't done anything with her at all. 
And somehow in the middle of this conversation, you're not a teacher, you're just a friend. (laughs) And it's just a coffee shop. And in the middle of that encounter, you're going to explain somehow, and the words have come out of your mouth, hey, listen, it's okay to shop, you just can't buy. It's okay to look, you just can't touch. Moms and dads, think of what you just heard in terms of the expectations, the words of Jesus Christ. And then begin to wonder, do I teach my children anything? Not by what I say, but maybe by what you don't say. And not just what you say, but also what you do. I'm amazed at the number of people in my life, and I get really upset about when those times it's me. And I spend a lot of time relaxing what God has already bound. In the name of love, in the name of understanding, in the name of a new day. And Jesus says, before he just breaks into this, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, whoever relaxes or looses these things and then teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, practices them, Whoever goes about living this way, whoever does them and then teaches others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 19. And then he says in 520, and 520 becomes a really important verse for the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this to the crowds, Pharisees in the background, disciples closest to him. Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like for many people, that just does not sound like Jesus. Unless your righteousness exceeds, is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't even fit with how we talk about salvation. How we usually talk about salvation is, what's the one thing that Lexi needs to do in order to be saved? That's how we talk about it, isn't it? What's the one thing, just that one thing that a person needs to do in order to be saved? And we reduce it down to some really simplistic formula, prayer, ritualistic act, intention of the heart, And we call it good. And Jesus Christ says, for unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, the scribes, namely the Pharisees, these are people who are wholly devoted to studying the word of God and doing it. And not only studying it and doing it, but literally trying to figure out ways that they can help others. They weren't helping others. Jesus will deal with this in a couple of chapters. But in their mind, best of intentions, they're trying to help others do what God wants them to do. They're trying to make good Christian folk. And they believe that they can do that by thinking the right things about God and then doing them. And that's what God wants, and that's what the Pharisees are doing, and Jesus is confronting that entire way of thinking. See, Jesus isn't here to attack the law, but he is here to confront those scribes, namely the Pharisees, a very specific group of people whose name itself, Pharisee, means the separate ones, who have devoted their lives to ritualistic purity, 
doing the right thing, saying the right thing. Jesus says, what I'm arguing with here is not Moses, but what all of these religious teachers are saying. And he is about ready to turn their small little world upside down. With the words of Moses, rightly understood. With the word and the intent of God through the prophet Moses and the rest of the prophets, properly understood. Jesus is using that phrase. You have heard that it was said. Not the scripture writes. Not you know that in the scriptures. No, but you've heard that it was said. Do you understand the danger and the difference with that statement? Do you know what happens when instead of using the word of God or the intended word of God as the means by which we live and organize our lives and instead it's just what rabbi, no, not rabbi, pastor so-and-so says. Indeed, every word I say to you today, if somehow you think you can use the words that I use and somehow get Jesus to owe you, you misunderstand who I am and what I'm capable of. I'm going to do my best to rightly divide the words of Jesus and to teach you to do the same. But I sit under complete submission to who Jesus Christ is and what he has already said. And what you and I are doing now is reflecting on that and be very, very careful taking the words that I say or the words that your mom says or the words that your friends say and banking on those. This is the deep concern that I have for a group of Christians in our culture today who know a lot about what so-and-so says but have forgotten what the Bible actually teaches. And hear me, teachers are still important and still used by God and are still hopefully dependent upon his spirit. But God's word has spoken clearly And some things that we see from this text, just as a quick look over these last few verses of chapter five, here are some things that we quickly see that Jesus is describing, that doing the right thing isn't enough. Just doing the right thing isn't enough. That's a lot of what we believe, being a Christian, being a follower of God, being a religious person, being a righteous person, even though we don't use that word. When we look at it, haven't murdered anybody, Somehow this becomes a badge of honor. I have not literally committed adultery, therefore. I'm actually still married, therefore. And I'll tell you, I'm not one of those guys, and I take a lot of pride in this myself. I'm not one of those guys that ever has to swear on a stack of Bible. I do my best to have my word be my bond. And as long as I do those right things, as long as I stay on this side of a moral divide, then everything should work out just fine. And what Jesus does in this sermon is he just, he breaks all of that down. Doing the right thing, the Pharisees were doing the right thing. Jesus says, and unless your righteousness exceeds that, you're not even getting into the kingdom. We're not even trying to, Jesus isn't talking about how to get to the top seat. Jesus is saying, you don't even get in the door. So doing the right thing isn't what being a follower of God, a faithful follower of God is all about. So where do we go? We usually kind of leave, yeah, you're right, it's not about doing the right thing, it's about having the best of intentions. 
It's about what we really meant. That's what matters the most. I hear this all the time. What God really wants is our hearts. True, but actually only partly true. The Bible also says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So to just say that maybe it's about having the right intentions, that's wrong too. Having the right intention isn't enough either. Jesus doesn't say, listen, as long as you don't murder and you never really mean to murder, then you're fine. Jesus describes a lot of intentions in this. Don't hate. Don't lust. Guard, guard your oath carefully. He seems to be describing a way of living about turning the other cheek that really cuts deep into intentions and maybe even challenge the fact that although you say you had the best of intentions, that your heart is actually rather duplicitous and it lies to you too. What does Jesus want from us? Jesus, how can we ever live up to this crazy standard? By the way, in the original audience's ears, to hear the statement, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, namely the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, the immediate response was, well then who can? If these guys have devoted their lives to it and they're failing, then who can? What's the point? Are you here to just tell me that no matter what, I can't do this? Yes and no. What Jesus says to that question is yes and no. What Jesus is calling for, and I really want you to hear this because this really gets at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of God from the beginning. This is a uniform, um, consistent teaching throughout all of the scripture. This isn't a new way of looking at the old. It's not a new way of looking at God. This is how God has always been. In Jesus, we just see it brightest. And what Jesus is calling for is for his followers to have integrated heads, hearts, and hands. That's what he wants. That's why it's wrong to say that what God wants you to do is just know these things. And to believe in him is to know right things in part. It's also wrong to say what God wants is your heart. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you know. Well, the Bible actually says it does matter what you know a lot. Consistently, the prophets and the apostles say, I do not want you to be ignorant, and I do not want you to be not knowing these things about who God is. There are two very wrong things in the Bible. One of them is to worship the wrong God, and the second one is to worship the right God wrongly. Like, our minds matter. So you can't just say it's all about the heart. It's not just about the heart. It is about knowing the right things about God. And then it is about our heart faithfully feeling and responding, living, breathing, repenting, breaking, strengthening, being encouraged, going on, failing, breaking yet once again, being reformed by the Holy Spirit, guided, protected. It is about your heart in this constant responsive transformation to the word of God, spirit of God in the context of the people of God. And Jesus is wanting the head and the heart to live in unity. And it never stops there. Nowhere does the Bible say, as long as you know the right things and you're feeling the right way, then that's good. 
and you're still an island to yourself. No, the natural overflow of a head and a heart that are knowing and feeling and responding to what God is doing are hands and feet that are loving and moving, calling out and providing opportunities for justice and compassion and relief everywhere we go. Jesus is doing what the prophets of old did. I'm calling you back to who God is and God's plan for you, for his glory, for your joy, and the benefit of others. And in order to do that, Jesus needs to break through all of the lies that religious leaders are saying and telling and communicating and this new standard. Now listen, the Pharisees did it for the best of intentions. The Pharisees are kind of living in the wake of a people, of a, of a whole nation of people that decided we're gonna worship idols and we're gonna do what we wanna do. And God punished them severely. In the Old Testament, God came to Israel, destroyed the temple, sent them off into captivity to Babylon and said, if you wanna serve idols, let's see how they help you. And Israel was humbled. And in that act of great humility, Israel realized, okay, the one thing we're never gonna do is take God's law lightly again. Fine, you want rules to be obeyed, we'll obey them. And the scribes, namely the Pharisees, were a group of people who said, what we are going to do is we're going to take those laws, you shall not murder. We're gonna take those laws, you shall not commit adultery. We're gonna take those laws about oaths and the Sabbath and the dietary regulations, and we are going to add extra laws all the way around them so that you'll never be able to break that one core law because there's so many other traditions that are wrapped up around it. The Pharisees are a classic example of well-intended spiritual people getting it wrong. The Pharisees are classic examples of spiritual people with the best of intentions still getting it wrong by, by creating traditions that really never deal with the heart, by not trusting the word of God itself to do the work on the heart, for the Holy Spirit needing me and my words and my commentary instead of trusting the word itself to carry the day. Hmm. See, one of the things that it's just good for us to, to realize is that we all do this. I've got some rules in my life and I have to be careful to not make them rules for your life. I've got a rather simple guideline in my life and that is that I just won't ride around town, have lunch with a woman who is not my wife. Because that way, my, my heart is helped kept in check. That way, my eyes and my emotions are able to be focused more on the one that I'm married to, right? It's Valentine's Day. It's the least I can do for her, right? And now all of a sudden, since that's working for me, Maybe you should too. Actually, now that's our new rule here, by the way. If you want to be a follower of God, then this is what you need to do too. We all do that, don't we? We, we all know what it's like to have a, this is how we're going to obey God, and I'll tell you how I obey that is by doing this. You know how I follow Jesus? I follow Jesus by doing this, and you know what? You should too. You know what it means to go? Here's what it means to go, because here's what I do when I go. 
And you know what it means to gather, by the way? I gather the right way, and so these become our new rules for gathering. It is this tendency in all of us to believe that somehow we get it right, and we replace what God says. Well, we don't replace it. We just begin to kind of like mask it with all of our customs and all of our traditions. The way that we worship is, the way that we love God is, the way that we give to God is. And Jesus has to come in at this moment and chip away at these traditions and to try to get at the very core, not just the heart, but the very core of a mind and a heart and a body, a hands, a feet that are somehow not integrated into honoring and loving God but are somehow trying to look at the law and they ask this question and we ask it all the time, what's the one thing I have to do? It's Valentine's Day, right? Imagine me trying to get that away, get away with that with my own wife. Hey babe, it's Valentine's Day. What's the one thing I gotta do for you to be happy on Valentine's Day? Just tell me what it is, I promise I'll do it. Could you hurry it up please? Romantic. No, you, you would actually say like something's broken in that, wouldn't you? You'd say like, you, you, you missed the point of Valentine. No, I didn't miss the point of Valentine. I'm gonna do whatever she wants. Something is profoundly broken in that, isn't it? And Jesus is looking at a crowd that has Pharisees on one side and disciples on the other and this mass group of people in the middle and he is saying, let me explain to you what it actually means to have integrated head, hands, and hearts for the glory of God. He says this in our text today, Matthew chapter five, verses 46 through 48, which I think becomes kind of a governing way of looking at all of it. He says this, for if you, uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more? Notice how this continues on with what he says in verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds. Do not even, what more? Do you see how, what Jesus is describing? What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is why the Sermon on the Mount seems like Jesus is really asking too much for us. Because he, what he is actually describing is the amazing heart of God as lived out by those who are completely devoted to him. Blessed are the peacemakers. God is a peacemaker. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God doesn't hunger because it's lacking, but he just exudes righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, and God's heart is perfectly pure. He is describing a way of, of thinking and a way of feeling and a way of living that is different than just trying to follow the rules, which by the way, the Bible never lifts up as the way to please the Lord. God never has asked anyone to just mindlessly, heartlessly, or religiously with their hands and feet to obey him. From the very beginning to the very end of the Bible, God demands, expects, desires all of us. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 10, I want to read to you some verses that may surprise you. This is in the great book of Deuteronomy. And when I read this text, you're going to go, oh, now I see where Jesus is getting a lot of his material. That's because he wrote Deuteronomy. I mean, think about it, right? Like, this is the part that I love is I want us to see the union of what Jesus is doing with the eternal plan of God, only brighter, only clearer, because he is now, in fact, not speaking through Moses, but he is speaking for himself, by himself. That's Jesus. Moses says this, Deuteronomy 10, beginning in verse 12. And just, just, just listen to this and say, wow, that sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require? Um, God really doesn't require anything because he really loves us. And he's like a really good friend that would never expect anything of us. That's what God is like. That's what makes him so cool. Okay, I don't know what God you're worshiping. It's not the God of the Bible. God requires things of us. And for those who tell you God requires nothing of you, they're liars. Like there's no way you can read this book and go, yeah, God doesn't require anything. But by the way, there are also those who go, yeah, God has all these requirements and if you don't measure up, yeah, you don't get it either. Now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Listen, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandment and, uh, commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are to this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and he takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. I love that. And, the, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land, and by his name you shall swear. Oh, sorry, uh, in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. And what Moses is doing and what Jesus does even better is explains that this is just who God is and this is how God acts. And for those of us that say, I wanna follow him, I wanna be a part of that, I wanna be a part of that plan, I wanna be a part of that way, I wanna be a part of that salvation, that we then naturally give over all of ourselves to him out of this grateful, humble, fearful, joyful obedience. Be very leery of those people who give you not the narrow way, but the path of least resistance, the lowest common denominator kind of faith. 
it doesn't even matter how old you are. It's fascinating how I can ask this question. And to the youngest audience, when I say, do you, can you ever require or command that someone love? The immediate response from young people is, no, you can't command love. It's just love. It just comes from the heart. It does what it wants to do. It just flows wherever it wants to flow. I know exactly what they're talking about. I felt that. Third grade, Valentine's Day. <laughs> and I did this first service when my wife was sitting right up close. She could have came up and grabbed me at any moment. I loved Heather McComb. And my heart just went where my heart needed to go. Followed her around the playground, followed her all down the hallways, followed her to the bus, followed her everywhere. I don't know if you guys did this in the States, but where I come from, when you're in the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, it started getting a little weird. We would actually tape bags to our desks. And on Valentine's Day, everybody had their cards and they would drop those cards in each other's bags. And every year since my heart was just this restless warrior, longing for Heather to not just have some kind of corny generic card, to Jim from Heather. No. Well, what I really wanted was, it, dear Jim, I need you. You are the most beautiful third grader I've ever seen in my life. You're funny and deep and special, and I think about you all the time. That's what I wanted, right? Because the heart wants what the heart wants, right? And every year, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, literally seventh grade, I kept getting these cards from Heather. Someone just laugh. <laughs> I hope you never find love. outside of Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so I'm following my heart like a child, fully believing that I know what love is. And every Valentine's Day, to Jim from Heather. <laughs> like it just hurt. Now what you would say is like that's, but listen, that's third grade, that's so immature. I would agree with you. I, I couldn't imagine living without her, but I have. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's different, right? Because she's not Andrea. Well, fast forward. I remember when I fell in love with Andrea and I fell hard. And I remember we dated for a number of years. And then, for some reason beyond my understanding, she felt her life would be better without me in it. And on two different occasions, I had to deal with that, and I thought my life was over. What I wish I could tell you is, is that I found out that actually that was wrong too. But I didn't find out the way that I planned to find out. Like, I ended up getting her back. Boom, that was awesome, okay? <laughs> so I ended up getting her back, but over the years, guess what I found out? After 27 great years of marriage, Okay, 22, five of them were rough, uh, mostly my fault. But in the middle of that, in the middle of that, that's, 
Amen, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, but listen to this. But here's what I found out. But it's in the middle of all of that, what I've actually really understood is that I didn't need he, her either. I didn't need her either. That God designed and that God planned so much more for who I am and this idea of love, because I can talk to older people now and I can say, can you command love? And it doesn't matter if you're 12 or if you're 68. Our culture says, yeah, you just, you're gonna do and you're gonna feel and you're gonna do, you just can't stop it. You can't command love. Well, the Bible actually says you can The Bible actually says this, love the Lord your God. This is a command. With what? Hear me, with everything. Do you understand? That it's not love, this concept of love and what Jesus is really getting at here, what he is driving at is for us to live like God. What he desires for us is to be integrated creatures made in God's image, recreated in his image, and now we act just like God with integrated heads, hands, and hearts with a faithful, loving, right-minded, right-hearted, right-handed obedience to the Father. And this is what it means to be a follower of God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus so that you and I can actually bring great glory to him and find the deepest satisfaction, not of childish love and childish games, but of what it actually means to know God and to love him with everything that you are. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus makes this statement. Um, We'll come to it, obviously, in a number of weeks now. But when Jesus is asked this question, he says, hey, listen, Um, they they, they come to Jesus. What, what What is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus says this, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. Jesus says, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second, uh, sorry, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is doing in these great words that challenge us to rid ourselves of all bitterness and anger. Paul says that in Ephesians 2. Don't hate And what Paul says about how we need to put off this old self, Jesus tells us that that rule, that you've heard it said that you can can look but you just can't touch. No, that's not right either because there's something deeply broken in our hearts. And God desires for us, for us and from us, God desires for us to embody and to live like him. Be perfect, he says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you realize that what really is being described in that powerful statement, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, is not sinlessness, but ultimate maturity. The word there doesn't mean and never make a mistake. The word means and come into the fullness of how God has designed and intended you to be, to live, to feel, to think, to act. And so many times you and I absolutely struggle in being faithful to who Jesus Christ is because we are living relatively schizophrenic lives. Head over here, heart over here, hands over here. 
And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount brings all of these things together. Don't practice your righteousness before others. Trust God. Don't try to figure out how you can get out of an oath. Just let your word be your word. Don't belittle others and rob them of their identity. Raka. The other word he uses there for fool is where we get the Greek word, or the English word from the Greek word, moron. And and to take someone's identity and to strip them down, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're not Jim anymore, you're an idiot. You're a loser. To do that is to kill someone's identity and to replace it with something else. Jesus He's not just going after the heart. He's exposing it. And then he's also replacing it. So what's the rule for all of this? Actually, interestingly enough, what Jesus is asking us to do is is to abandon this rather surface level of living for God and experience the joy of a deep relationship with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that truth and that relationship. I thank you for the words that were spoken from Jesus Christ himself. And Father, I pray that we would, um, by your strength and by your purpose, that we would stay in the struggle. And that, God, we would never be satisfied with not committing gross sins. And we wouldn't even be satisfied by just guarding our own hearts, but we would live fully responsive lives to your word and to your spirit. Father, we want something different, and you will make us different, not by our own efforts, Father, but by us being faithfully obedient to Jesus. For him, we are thankful. It's in his name that we humbly pray. Amen.